The message this morning is entitled, Time for God. Time for God. A little bit uh, nebulous as to where we're going to go with that, and so I will try to uh, direct your thoughts and <clears throat> your minds in a way that would please the Lord. I want to talk a little bit about uh, the person of Moses first. Moses knew God. Moses had time for God. Moses is a good model for us to follow. Flawed, of course. He's one of us. He's human with all his imperfections. And yet because of uh, a heart choice that he makes and because of God's incredible grace, he could say, I know God. In fact, the Scripture says, since that time, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Time for God will allow us to become people who know God. Time for God will allow us to have uh, a, a heart, a mind, a spirit that is controlled by the Word of God. And as uh, the Word of God has its way in our life, as Jess was praying, that uh, there would be changes that take place. That we become actually different people. Paul writes uh, in 2 Corinthians that as we gaze on Him face to face, His glory is actually translated or imprinted, impacted on us. And we're changed. We're different people. I wonder sometimes what it would be like if, if I had had a Moses kind of experience. Remember that time where Moses said, I just want to see you and God said, Okay. No man can look on God and live. But Moses, I'll communicate myself to you. And so he put Moses in a, uh, a rock, a cleft in the rock, and, and he passed by. And the impression is that after he had gone, after he had moved by, he allowed Moses a peek. And even the glory that was left behind, or the, the rear view, if you will, of God, was so powerful that it caused the skin on Moses' face to actually glow. The people <clears throat> recognized that he'd been with God, that he'd spent time with God, and that it had made a profound difference, not only in his physical appearance, but in his very person. So that he was a man who God could say, I know Moses face to face. You say, well, wait a minute, you just said can't see God. And it, okay, it's an expression, all right? But there's an intimacy and an awareness that Moses had of God that according to this, up until that time, no prophet was seen in Israel who the Lord knew in that way. And yet, from what I understand in Scripture, what Paul wrote there in 2 Corinthians, we have that opportunity. We have uh, the, the capacity, if you will, the privilege, the enlightenment from God to know Him on a face-to-face basis and allow that face-to-face time change us and to make us who He wants us to be. I think it's safe to say that if every one of us were exactly the way Christ would want us to be, this city would be a different place. In fact, 
This city can be a different place as we, the people of God, have that face-to-face experience where the glory of God actually is translated, transferred, moved from, from God into us in such a way that people are recognizing they've been with Jesus. The early church had that experience. And I think the late church, if that's, that's appropriate for us, isn't it? The, 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 the end times church can have that same experience. And that's my heart. That's where I want to go with, with what we're talking about today. I believe that's what God has put on my heart. Remember how it started for Moses? Uh, this is a, a true rendering of who Moses is and, and it, what it actually looked like. I got it from Google, so you know it's right. But uh, Moses went first face to face with God in a burning bush experience. An experience where this green plant lit up on fire and yet it, didn't, it wasn't consumed. And Moses said, that's weird. That's strange. I've got to go over and see what's going on here. And as he got close, God spoke to him and said, whoa, Moses, not too close, bud. Not too close. The place you're standing is holy ground. There's something unusual that's going to take place here. There's a transaction that is bigger than you can possibly imagine. So get ready, Moses. Take those shoes off. Be prepared because there's going to be some adjustment made. And in that time, God introduces Himself to Moses and says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. There was an established relationship. And Moses understood who this God was. This is the God that spoke to Abraham hundreds of years earlier. And it said, Abraham, out of you I'm going to make a people small, insignificant, and yet a people who will be noted in the entire world as God's people. Abraham passed that promise on to his son Isaac and it wasn't until he was 100 years old that he even had that son. And so the miraculous birth of Isaac was another demonstration of God at work in Abraham's life. And, And God spoke to Isaac and said, Isaac, you're going to have a son. In fact, if I have it right, he's going to have two sons, right? And one I will love and bless, and the other I will curse. Romans 9. Whoa, wait, what's going on here? You know, I don't understand that, but that's the God who Isaac knew. And Jacob was the son who was blessed. And Jacob was such a rascal. Such a deceiver. In fact, isn't that what his name means? Such a one who, who seemed the opposite of anything God would want to be associated with. And yet God grabbed Jacob one night. I believe it was the Lord Jesus. Had a wrestling match. Literal wrestling match with him. And he wrestled with him all night long. And Jacob was determined that he would not lose this match. He would not let go until he had been blessed by God. God blessed him. And he knew God in a way that few others know Him. And he said, I'm going to change you, Jacob. I'm going to change you from being the deceiver 
and the supplanter and the one who is a, a, a trickster, I'm going to change you into a man that I can really bless. In fact, all the kings of the earth, all the kingdoms of the earth are going to be blessed through you. And then 400 years pass. And they go from uh, uh, being a little bitty family to this enormous population of people. But at the same time, they go from being basically free men before God to slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. And it's at that point in their history that God brings the incredible news to Moses that he's going to be used by God. He says, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. What an honor. What a privilege. For the God who created him, the God who had done every miracle to say, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. You're my person. And of course, Moses responds in a a heart of gratitude and appreciation and awe of God and submits so patiently to the will of God by saying, Who am I? Who am I? How could I possibly do what you're asking me to do? How could I possibly be the one that brings your people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt and out of slavery? Well, in spite of his rebellious heart, do I dare say that? In spite of his reluctance to be God's man and to be used by God, God blessed him anyway and used him anyway. But it wasn't until he really revealed himself to Moses. Moses said, okay, okay, I'll go. But who should I tell the people is sending me? And again, you know this story well. God said to Moses, I am who I am. Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am. I am. Difficult to understand, but we can put it this way. This is an expression of the ever-present God. The God who has always existed. The God who always will exist. And yet, He's talking to Moses and He's saying, I am, I am present with you today. I'm thrilled when I read through the Scriptures, especially the Gospels, to hear Jesus use this same expression about Himself very subtly until finally in John chapter 10, the, the Pharisees just lay it all out on the line. What's your name? Well, let's get there. Graciously, the Lord Jesus goes through and says, I am the light of the world. And he presents himself to us in the present tense, in the right now, right where we live, and says, I'm the light of the world. There's a ton of darkness around. There's a ton of of things that uh, stir our souls and cause us pain. And in all of that, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He says, I am the door. Enter through me the only door, the only way, enter through me into eternal life. 
Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And he demonstrates what he means by that by taking those five loaves and a couple small fish and, and starting to break them so that he's able to feed five, ten, fifteen, maybe fifteen thousand people from those little rolls and a few, few small fish. I am the bread of life. And then in John chapter 14, he makes this powerful, powerful statement. A statement that separates him from every other religious leader ever known to mankind. Every other religious leader ever known to mankind. You hearing that? He said, I am the way. I am mutually exclusive. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And then the Pharisees confront him, as I mentioned, in John chapter 10, and they say, Who are you? Who are you? And finally he says, I am who I am. And what was their response? They picked up rocks to throw at him to stone him to death. And yet he demonstrated his, his deity, he demonstrated his power by saying, excuse me, I'm out of here. And he walks right through them, vanishes from their sight. And they're unable to carry out their death threat. But he made it abundantly clear that the voice that Moses heard in the burning bush was the voice of Jesus, the son of Mary and Joseph, who was truly the Messiah, the one come from God, who would be the Savior of the world. John 1, John said it this way, I am the light of the world. Or, uh, uh, I, uh, I'm sorry, let me step back. John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the world has a sin problem. Being part of the world, I have a sin problem. You understand that? And there's only one who's able to take care of that. There's only one who's able to fix that. That same one says in Revelation, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And he goes on to explain that even more by saying, I am the one who has the unique capacity in the present to know the beginning, to know the end, to know the outcome before it started. I am the Alpha and Omega. All of these people, I'm sorry, all of these names refer to the same individual, the individual that Moses went face to face with at the burning bush. And what he's saying in all of this, I think, is this powerful, powerful statement. We need to understand this, and this is where we've been talking about for several weeks now, where we need to live. He says, I am in control. I have this whole seeming mess under control. I am the ever-present God. John writes in that first Gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then in verse 14 it says, and this Word, the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And Moses' experience in seeing the glory of God 
in that burning bush and then later seeing the glory of God when He was standing in the cleft of the rock is our experience or can be our experience this morning. And we can understand the glory of the only begotten from the Father. And we can know His grace and we can know His truth. I can know the righteous, holy God. 2 Corinthians 5 says, He, God, made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin, or you see that's in italics, He made Him sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus and said it's only through Your blood, it's not by works, it's not by anything that I do, I put my faith totally in You, Lord Jesus, in the finished work that You accomplished when You shed Your blood on the cross of Calvary. Those of us who have placed our faith in Him have entered into the very righteousness of God. I can know the righteous holy God in such intimate detail that I can be declared righteous. Matthew read from Romans 3 this morning where that verse is is abundantly clear. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but... He is just and the justifier. He is absolutely, totally righteous and true and faithful and good. At the same time, He declares me to be righteous only because He shed His blood. Only because He went to the cross. And that's where we were for the last two weeks. Because we want to go back to the cross. Uh, If you remember the, the videos that we watched and see how they all fit together... It's the cross that tells me that Jesus loves me, that God loves me. And there's no question that I'm loved when I go to the cross. And that's where I need to go and cling. Sometimes the world seems to be throwing its its worst at us. Sometimes life is extremely difficult. Sometimes there's trouble. In fact, there's always trouble. Sometimes it's just a lot worse than other times. And uh, we get so used to living in trouble that it seems normal. The fact is that there's always that trouble. In the world, Jesus said, you'll have trouble. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In me, you'll find that peace that you need. And so in Him, I run to the cross. And I see there that God loves me. I see there this parallel concept that while it seems I have freedom to make choices, that God is always in control. And those two things run, he called, Louis Giglio called them parallel concepts. And we have to hold on to them. That it looks like man has his freedom, that man is making decisions and, and heading in his direction. But always God is in control. And while I can't put it together in my mind how it works, I can believe that it does work that way because that's what Scripture indicates. And I go to the cross and I see in the cross that God is in control. Men are doing their worst to His lovely Son. And yet He is there orchestrating every bit of it. Difficult to understand. Here's the thrilling part. Whoops, I'm sorry. He always makes good out of evil. He always triumphs. He always will win. And I have to put my trust in Him 
because, as the fourth point mentions, he's painting on this canvas that is so much bigger than I can fathom, that I can begin to understand. I can, I can see one tiny little spot on that canvas. Or he called, Louis called it a, a mosaic. I can, I can focus in on that one little tile. But God's picture is so much bigger. And I have to place my confidence in that one who can carry me through even though my picture looks pretty black. My, my little uh, comprehension of the painting looks, looks very uh, bleak at the time. I can place my confidence in this one who is in control because he's got a much more broad canvas that he's painting on. And so we come to this. In the good times or the bad times that are so normal that they seem to be good. And in the really, really rough times, we can have hope. Because he tells us we have an anchor. In the cross of Jesus Christ, we have that anchor. We have hope because of the cross of Christ. And also along with that, and this is where I really want to go today, we have a message we have in how we handle life's issues, we have an ability to present God, the God of hope, the God of greatness. We have ability to present that God to, to the rest of our, of our world. We are always giving a message. And we need to be in a place where we can be trusting God enjoying God, confident in God, so that the message that comes out of our lives will always bring glory to God. Well, unless I take time for God, I'm going to miss all of this. Understand this. Because He is the I Am, we need to know Him as the ever-present God. Ever-present God. In every one of our circumstances, He is there. He's in control. He's the one that we can trust, that we can put our confidence in. And we have to be there if we're going to live the kind of life that brings pleasure to Him and, and uh, fulfillment and uh, peace for us. We have to be there. I'm the one who does not take time to see Him. Even though He's ever-present, I'm the one who misses His presence. I'm the one who doesn't take time to thank Him, to recognize that He's at work in my life, in your life, and that there is a, a re responsibility for me in all of that to be able to say, God, I understand. Not that what's happening, but I understand that You're in control and that you're working for my good and for the glory of your own name. I'm the one that has to take that time. I'm the one who fails to trust him in the good times or the bad times. And so he's the ever-present one. It's not his problem. That's what we're trying to communicate. He's the one who is always righteous. He's always in control. Where there's failure, it'll be on my part. I need to be the one who takes time for him. And so the question comes, how do I do that? Well, I'm going to look at some suggestions and ask you to prayerfully consider these things. 
One of the ways that uh, we, I, you have always been taught that we take time for God is through the daily reading of His Word. A daily time when I say I'm going to stop and I'm going to understand that God is speaking to me through His Word. Let's not, let's not raise our hands, but let's each ask ourselves, is there a time on a daily basis that I pause from everything that I'm doing and spend some time in this book? If not, then I can assure you that, and I hope I can back up here, that I'm the one that doesn't take time to see Him even though He's present. Even though we can be face to face. His face is there, but I'm not seeing it. He's doing marvelous things that He calls on me to have a grateful heart about. Not a heart of entitlement that says, oh, I deserve this. Not a heart of of ingratitude that complains and whines about the circumstances that God brings us to. But a heart that says, Lord, You're in control. I am Your servant. I will live my life in a way that pleases You. I'm the one who fails to trust Him unless I'm daily taking time in His Word. Now, we could send a, a, a card around. Everybody could sign it and say, okay, from this point on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the Bible every day. I don't know that that's going to make a difference. Uh, it would be good for you to covenant in your heart to do that. I remember a long time ago, I, I made a vow to God that I would spend every spend time every day in His Word. What's scary about that is I failed in that vow. There's been days that go by and I don't spend time in the Word. I don't see Christ face to face. I don't have the confidence in Him that I absolutely need in order to face what, whatever life brings. I don't trust Him. So I failed God. But, the Scripture says, even when we fail Him, He is what? Anybody know? He's always faithful. He'll never fail us. And so if it hasn't been your habit, if it hasn't been your pattern to daily spend time in the Word, and I'm not saying how much time, that's between you and the Lord. I think the deeper your walk with the Lord, the more time you need to spend. I think the more pressing life's problems are, the more time you need to spend. Uh, the more evil has its, um, it, it, its fingers trying to mess up your life, the more time you need to spend. But that will be between you and God. But one of, the, one of the real responsibilities of every person in this room is that they need to, on a daily basis, choose to take time reading the Word of God. We aren't going to grow. We aren't going to see Him face to face without that commitment in our lives. Second point, we need to memorize a portion of the Word on a regular basis. Maybe it's one verse a week. We're not, again, we're not suggesting that there's a certain number of verses that you have to memorize. But you'll see from the next point that I need the Word of God tucked into my mind so that I can do... Well, let me put it up there. So that I can meditate on the Word of God. Meditate 
is the idea of going over and over and over it. And you can't carry your Bible, obviously, around with you and hold it up in front of you 24-7. That just isn't real practical. And so what we need to do is take some of what we read, tuck it into our minds in such a way that we can call it back and use it over and over again. It's that practice. It's that uh, process. Excuse me. It's that process that is the face-to-face dimension of the Christian walk. It's that process of meditation where God's glory gets transferred into our lives so that we can, as we're face-to-face with God, experience Him pouring Himself into our lives and making those adjustments, making those changes. How? We can pray for enlightenment from the Word of God. There's sometimes you read that book and it seems so hard to understand. You've been there. It seems so impractical. I find my heart saying sometimes, God, that doesn't make sense. And it's like I'm blaming God because it doesn't make sense. What's the real problem? I'm not getting it. I'm not getting His message to me. And so I need to say, Lord, please enlighten me. Open me up so that I can understand what you're trying to communicate to me. I need to see you face to face. I need to have that kind of experience. And once again, every member of the body of Christ, every part of this local church, has these basic requirements for being in the presence of God, allowing God to penetrate who we are and become uh, like Him. We must have those kinds of things. There's more. Um, I have to be obedient to the Word. This is interesting. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God and uses it to bring conviction and growth and healing and blessing and peace, all of those things that come from the Word of God, all of those things that come as a result of the Spirit of God. But if I'm in a place where I am disobedient to what I've read, what I've uh, memorized, what I've meditated upon, what I'm praying about, if I become disobedient to those things, I see two things that happen. And the Scripture says neither one of those are acceptable. Number one, I can quench the power of God's Spirit in my life. You'd say, that's just crazy. God, the powerful God who can flick stars into place and I have the ability to override what He's wanting to do in my life? Again, I don't understand it, but the Word of God says that I am not to quench God's Holy Spirit. I think I quench God's Holy Spirit when I refuse to do the things God wants me to do. Moses poured water on the Spirit of God, if you will. He quenched the fire of the Spirit of God by saying, Me? I can't talk. I can't do this. I'm not going to be involved in that. It's too scary. Quenching the Holy Spirit because God had clearly said, I want you to go speak to Pharaoh. Answer the question in your heart. How many times have you had a clear indication as you read the Word, as you memorized it, as you meditated on it, as you prayed, a clear indication from God that this is something He wants you to do. 
Maybe it's to go next door and talk to your neighbor. Maybe it's to take a plate of cookies. Maybe it's to have a word of encouragement. I don't know exactly what it would be, but there's hundreds of things in Scripture that we are to do for one another and for a lost, dying world that when I say I'm not going to do that, it's too embarrassing, I don't have time, it costs too much money, whatever excuse we use, we actually pour water. That's a bad illustration because it's not a literal thing. But, but we put water on the fire of the Holy Spirit and we quench His powerful work in our lives. The other side of it is, the Scripture says that we're not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Not to grieve God's Spirit as He works within us. And I think that happens when I do the things I'm not supposed to do whether it's having bitter thoughts or overeating or you name it, things that I am not supposed to do and I go ahead and do them anyway, contrary to what I read in the Word, memorized from the Word, meditated on, prayed about, contrary to that, I say, no, I'm going to do what I want to do. When that begins to happen in our lives, we're actually grieving God's Holy Spirit and the power that He has readily available to us to unleash in our lives isn't there. His fault? No. My fault. My problem. And as a body of believers, this is a commitment that each of us individually needs to have. I'm going to take time to read the Word of God on a daily basis. I'm going to even start to memorize some small portion of the Word of God so that it's stored in my mind. I'm going to meditate on that portion of Scripture. I'm going to reflect on it over and over and over again until it actually becomes a part of who I am. I'm going to pray for continued enlightenment. And then the prayer can blossom into other things. And then finally, I need to thank the Word of God. Taking that from John 1, where we already read that the Word was God. And we have the written Word of God in perfect harmony with the person of the Word of God. As we take that into our lives, we can actually become more and more like Him. We can actually have that face-to-face transfer of His glory. So, here's where we are. Getting real down and practical. Alright? We have to help one another with this. We have to be there for one another. That's what the body of Christ is all about. If there's weakness in one member, others rush in to help. If there's strength in one member, that member is there to minister and to support. But the body of Christ has to be functioning together. We have to support one another in these things. So, one suggestion is that we share what we read with somebody on a daily basis. You'll be amazed how, how wonderful it becomes when you have that, that opportunity to talk about the Word of God with other believers. It's a great experience. You know, it's hard. It, it kind of gets caught somewhere around your vocal cords and you kind of go, oh, oh. But we have to force ourselves to do it. To actually bring up, you know, I read a verse in such and such. Maybe you say, I, don't, I didn't understand it at all. Can you help me 
understand what it means. Or maybe you can say, I read this verse and I, I just knew that this was something that would help me in my life. Or maybe I read a verse and I was thinking of you and I knew how much you're hurting and I thought this could really support you and help you. But you share those things. Yesterday when we were moving Scott and, and Mary Ellen, we had a, a chance to kind of all stand around on the porch while we were waiting, waiting for the, the truck to come with the final load. And uh, somebody brings up uh, this part of Scripture and somebody else brings up that part of Scripture. And in my heart I'm saying, whoa, these guys are way ahead of my sermon. I don't know how they knew this, that this was coming. But it's a cool thing. It's a good thing. And you find that, that your spirit is revived, that your spirit actually kind of catches a little bit of fire. Ha! Huh, there's somebody else who talks about these things. My, uh, my cousin Steve uh, called a couple weeks ago and, and said, uh, Keith and Betty, uh, your cousins and I, there's, there's four of us that grew up together. You don't have to know the whole story. But anyways, your cousins and I have decided that we're going to take you guys on a trip to Hawaii. And I said, that sounds like a good plan. Okay, so it's a year out now. It's sometime in February, a year from now. But he's already buying plane tickets and has reserved the condo. I'm all excited about it. Um, Dave, another one of my cousins who's going along, we're sitting at the table talking about this proposed trip and he said, you know, last time we went to Hawaii, we watched the whole series of 24 and we did. That's how we spent our evening. Remember 24? Yeah? Okay. Every night we'd get together and we'd watch two or three hours of 24. Dave said, wouldn't it be better this year if I bring my Truth Project videos along and we watch the Truth Project every night? And my spirit went, because oh. I used to feel guilty watching 24 and you know all the reasons why. But now he wants... Remember the Truth Project? We watched it last summer. He wants to go over the Truth Project and the four of us discuss it. Betty says, man, that Dave has changed. And I told him, I said, you know what? 20 years ago, you would never have said anything like that. He said, well, I wanted to say it. I just couldn't. I wanted to talk about the things God, I just couldn't. Well, he's showing some growth in his life. He's developing to the point where he's saying, you know what? the best way we could spend our evening was with reflecting on the truth of God and use the truth project as kind of a springboard for that. Well, I'm looking forward to that. In fact, I may watch the videos again just so I'm really prepared when we get there. But anyway, um, share what we read, what we're understanding. Ask each other questions about what we read. I'll tell you what, I look at something and I, I don't get it. And I've been doing this for a lot of years. And there's so many portions of Scripture that I just go... What does that mean? I have to go and ask somebody else. And, and nine times out of ten, they say, you know, I don't know what that means either. But then we talk about it and we research it a little bit and we can actually find some help and encourage one another. And the who I am starts to come out. The real me starts to come out. Because when I'm living like the world, that's hypocrisy, isn't it? If I'm a genuine child of God and I live like the world, that's when I'm being a hypocrite. Not the other way around. When I'm speaking the truth, when I'm talking the things of God, when I'm asking questions about the things of God, that's the real person. And Christ is able to start to work in my life and change me. Let me hurry on. This is one that I really like. Write out and give each other verses to carry through the day. 
Have you ever gotten one of Betty's little notes? She leaves me those notes all the time. Usually it's taped to the mirror in the bathroom. But she'll have taken, and don't tell uh, Matthew this, but she'll have taken some verses out of the message. And he won't want you to, to read the message, but I'm just kidding. Um, she, she, she's going through the message and, and she finds this verse and she'll tape it on the mirror for me. And it's just what I need for that day. And I'll carry it with me. Some of you have gotten those little notes in, your, in cards from Betty and so on. Hey, let's all start doing that. You know what? One of the greatest things that you've done for Grandpa in the last uh, three months is those little phrases that you write at the bottom of the cards. And he doesn't share the prayer request with me, but he'll often, he'll often say, let me read what so-and-so put. Let me read the words of encouragement I got from this person and that person. It makes a huge difference. And we can do that for each other. Because it isn't easy being us, is it? But we can help each other. We can support each other. We can pray the Word for each other. What do I mean? As you have memorized the Word, as you meditate upon the Word, you can actually turn the Word of God into a prayer for me. I was reading in 2 Thessalonians and it said there this morning, it said, May God make you worthy of the walk to which you've been called. You know, that same concept is in Colossians, but there it says, you walk worthy. And I'm going, oh, I try, I try. But here in Thessalonians, Paul is saying, I'm going to pray that the Lord make you worthy. Oh, that's the prayer I need. That's what I need. And I can take the Word of God and I can pray it for you. And you can pray it for me. And we can see a change in our person. And then this last one. Be there when the church gathers. Now this stings a little bit, I know. And there's a million reasons why we can't always be all together all the time. But we have to make this priority. This becomes one of the more difficult parts of living. If we are going to be people of God, we have to have time for God. And one of the things that God has done in provision for you as a person of God is to put you into what He calls the body of Christ, the church. So simple. We've talked about it before. If you took your eyeball out and laid it on the shelf and it sat there for two days, it would not function quite the way God intended it to. Would you agree with me? be a little bit difficult even to pop that thing back in our socket and say, oh good, there it is, there I can, you know. This wouldn't happen. We can't take ourselves out of the fellowship, out of the body of Christ. In fact, people, when someone has sin in their life and refuses to change that, what do we do for that person? In order to see them come to repentance in God, we put them out of fellowship. You say, well, that's stupid. No, that's what God's Word says. He will create a hunger in their lives that will bring them back to Himself. It's to restore them. Now, if I do that to myself, that's called self-imposed church discipline by not being present when the church gathers. So important. If the church seems to not be meeting your needs when we gather, would you let us know? If there's things that you're missing in the fellowship of the saints here, would you please let us know? Because we want to make adjustments. We understand that this is not the perfect place. 
We're always looking to improve. We always want it to be better. Not that we make it better, but to be more open to the Word of God and the Spirit of God so that He can make it better. And if there's things in your life that we are not hitting and and would be a help to you in our gathering together, please let us know. But there are some basic things that we see from Scripture that we try to do. One of them is communion with the Lord Jesus. Remember me, he says. And so on a weekly basis, we remember the Lord Jesus. He says, teach the Word. And so we try to present the Word in a way that people can understand it and, and actually even, even maybe like listening to it. And if I'm not putting myself under the sound of that Word, I'm missing out on a huge part of what God has for me. There's lots of ways to miss out. I was talking to Brad and Brad said, yeah, I've got to do Sunday school this week. Well, Brad, you get to do Sunday school this week. This is a privilege. He says, yeah, I know, but... Well, we all understand that. We can serve down the hall and miss out on what's going on here. But we've made it available so that you can go back online. Most of you can. I have a hard time doing it. But most of you can go back online and hear what the Word of God is, is for this week from, from the church, the truth from the church. We can do that. I need to really be in the body of Christ. The goal, the goal is to get to the point where I understand that everything about my life is something that God is at work in. Here's a quote, I can always give thanks because an all-powerful God always has all things always under control. Remember Daniel in the lion's den? Talk about out of control. And yet God closed the mouth of the lions. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego thrown into the fiery furnace and the only thing that burned was the ropes that were holding them in place? Who was there with them? Nebuchadnezzar looked in, he saw four people. He only threw three in. Jesus Himself was there with them. Remember the disciples in the storm? And they were afraid? And what did Jesus say? To the wind, peace. To the waves, be still. And they listened. One of the songs that we sing says, Be still, my soul. The wind and waves still know His voice who ruled them while He was here below. They still understand that. And in the storms and in the wind, we can remember that He has all things always in control. And most of all, remember the cross of our wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus. Because we learn there that He loves us. We learn there that even though everything looks like chaos, He's in control. We learn there that He can take the very worst thing that can happen and turn it into the very best thing so that we can look back on the cross today and see how terrible it was at the same time say, I'm so thankful for the cross of the Lord Jesus. And we can always say, God, I don't understand the big picture, but I'm willing to trust You that You understand because You're painting on this canvas that's so much bigger than I can ever comprehend. And in that, I'll say thank you. And having a thankful spirit opens us up to more of God, to more of what He wants for us.
to more of that face-to-face kind of relationship. I hope that's some help. I hope we're willing to see what we can do in this whole business of taking some time for God. Father, we just pray that Your Word, not my Word, would be important to us. We pray that uh, You'll speak and we will listen and respond. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.